Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces podcast, episode 490. And oh my word, how exciting is this? I've kept this under my hat for a minute. We recorded this a few weeks back and it is the first time ever myself, Richard Herring and Adam Buxton have recorded together. We've all been on each other's podcasts. We've all been doing this a long time. We've got so much crossover in the fan base. So I was very excited to put together a special Christmas episode, The Three Wise Men of Podcasting, a.k.a. The Three White Men of Podcast, a.k.a. The Three Middle-Aged Men of Podcasting. Um, You know I'm a big fan of Adam Buxton's podcast and Adam Buxton as a human. You know I'm a big fan of Richard Herring's podcast and Richard Herring as a human. So I was delighted to sit down and talk to these two. It's had to be a two-parter. Part two, this is maybe the first episode, or in years at least, I've had to redact some names. Because <laughs> we got very open, and then we decided that we should probably be a little bit less open. So that's going to annoy some of you, but drink it in. Before we get into it, just thank you everyone for a hell of a year in podcasting. We've had some huge episodes on Distraction Pieces this year. We've had Stephen Fry. I've now forgotten every guest we've had. We've had Tim Key. We've had Paddy Considine. We started the year with the legend Ivana Lynch. We've had Lucy Pinder, you know, Joe Wiley, Kay Tempest again. The best episode I've done with Kay Tempest. We've had my favourite director of all time, Gaspar Noe, on you know, Benedict Wong, self-esteem on one of the best episodes I've ever done. Uh, David L, just endless amounts of good people. Frankie Boyle came back on, Charlie Cooper, a Caitlin Diva with the best unexpected moment in the history of the Distraction Pieces podcast. Alistair Green, we've had the Inbetweeners special recently with Joe and Simon, we had Christmas drinks last week. So much love came in for the Christmas drinks episode with Polar and Musa. So much love. So thank you all for that. All year, we've been brought to you by Speech Development. Records.com, that's where you can buy my merch. Loads of it is reduced at the moment. Fill your Christmas stockings with it. Patreon.com forward slash Scroobius Pip is where you can support for a dollar or so a month. And Twitch.tv forward slash Scroobius Pipio is where I'm doing all sorts of stuff. In fact, this coming weekend, I'm not sure if it's going to be the Friday or the Saturday night, I'm doing a DJ set. I stopped doing my club night three years ago, right? And I'm going to do my first DJ set in three years, and it's going to be online. There's going to be no VOD. You're not going to be able to catch up. It's going to be 9 o'clock, either on Friday or Saturday. I'll announce on the socials. But yeah, I'm going to be doing the DJ set, so I want you to get it on your big screen, get it through your your good speakers, um, and have a little end of year party with me i'm going to be doing a christmas party on twitch on december 20th so come along for that but yeah just loads of good stuff. i've had so much fun on twitch this year man me and richard talk about it a little bit i can't remember if it was in episode or off mic but um it's a lot of fun let's get into this shall we this is episode 490 of the distraction pieces podcast and if you've not tuned in this year adam buxton's podcast has been liquid gold Richard Herring's podcast has been liquid gold so tune into both of them um but for now tune into this this is the three wise men of podcasting with Richard Herring and Adam Buxton 
Gone, you've gone. You are munching bandwidth. You were slightly robotic there, but maybe it's just catching up. Oh, can you hear me? Okay. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> I said this is ideal because I can can take the lead of a podcast pioneer, Louis Theroux, and just edit this into a nice little intro. Yeah. With all the technical issues. Hello, how's that? That sounds good. It's good for me. Can you hear me? All right. Oh. You've gone you've gone robotic again. Robots, shit. Every now and then you'll robot it up and that'll be fine. I agree. Every now and again I'll just say, yes, Richard is right. Yes. Well, I mean, robotness aside, how are you both? Are you good? Richard, how are you? How is everything? I'm good. Uh, yes, I'm fully recovered from my, uh, uh, I think, from my uh, experience of last year. Yeah. Uh, Though you keep getting tested and stuff. I had, uh, for anyone who doesn't know, which seems unlikely, I had uh, testicular cancer last year and lost the testicle. But, you know, it's been pretty uh, good. I was never very ill, uh, apart from just, like, recovering from the chemo was was the worst bit, but still it was very light chemo. Uh, and then I kind of got quite fit as a as a an attempt to stave off death. I've slightly let that slide, so I've put on a little bit of weight that I'd lost, but uh, no, I'm feeling pretty good. Mate, it was perfectly timed for Taskmaster Champion of Champions. <laughs> you, you look the best and youngest I've ever seen you look. That's yeah. now recorded. Now you can do what you want. <laughs> I'd like to go back to that. I was, I was like at the height of it, I was running. I, meant, I, was, I ran a half marathon um, last year as well, about the same time as that, so I was, I was properly fit. Uh, and I kind of was going to do the half marathon again this year, but I haven't really done the training. So uh, we'll maybe maybe next year, maybe it's the half marathons I need to get into. But yeah, no, I'm I'm good. Are you are you well, Pip? I'm good. I'm good. I was going to say the one time I had to do a photo shoot where I had my top off is the one time I really had abs, and now everyone just thinks I've got abs permanently. <laughs> it was years ago. It's fine. It's as long as it's on record. It's um, it, it's all good. And how are you, Adam? Are you good? robotness aside i got back last night from london i was recording a podcast in london town and exciting when i got back i found a a bag that my wife had filled with treats for my daughter's 14th birthday party and i think my son had probably already broken into the big party bag of mawam stuff yeah So I thought, oh, well, the seal's gone from the Mawam bag. (laughs) So I'll just have a couple. And about two or three big handfuls later, I went up to bed feeling very sad and just thinking, (laughs) oh, dear. What's I, wrong? I've been doing that. I've been eating sweets late at night. So I stopped eating chocolate, and I and when I was in Edinburgh, I, I found the uh, mental pressure of it too much and started eating my kids' chocolate buttons, and then the whole just whoomph. And now I've started eating chocolate again. I'm mean, I keep trying to stop and I can't stop. But I've been eating I've been eating chews and so I ate some chews when I got in as well last night. And it's a bad Because chews chews feel like the healthy option. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because you sort of think, well, this is mainly chemicals. Yeah. So chemicals off, don't surely. make fat, do they? Surely. I mean, it's not like all that dairy stuff in chocolate. <laughs> no way. It's just a few zingy chemicals. And when I get to the it's the pinballs that gave me. I don't know if you've ever had pinballs, but it's no. like a, a kind of cosmic taste grenade. <laughs> and you can't have one pinball. It's not an option. So I had a lot of pinballs. You see, that's the trick, though. I always think, particularly with s- sour ones, oh, I won't eat as much of this 
because it's sour, because it's sharp. Whereas ch- chocolate, I'll just eat and eat, but it never happens anyway. I end up just going back for more and more and more. It just yeah. spaces out more, I think. So, you know, I'm 53 years old, but still have the self-control of a <laughs> four-year-old. And... um you know that Walter, is he called Walter Michel, the psychologist who developed the so-called marshmallow test for children? Oh, yes. And it's all about self-control. And it's you go into a, a classroom of kids, about eight or maybe a bit younger than that, six or something, and you say, okay, how does it work, Rich? Do you know this I think one? you say you give them a marshmallow on a plate, don't you, and say you can eat that now or if you if you don't eat it, for 10 minutes, you get a bag of marshmallows. It's something like that, isn't it? That's right, yeah. So it's it's all about deferring um, gratification. And if they're able to resist and just have a little bit of willpower, then, then they're rewarded for it. And supposedly, whether a child at that age is able to resist or not is an indication of how well they will do in life. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, whether they will rise to positions of power and be leaders and be respectable members of the community, those are the ones who are able to resist the marshmallow and hang out for a tiny bit longer for the reward. The ones who can't resist the marshmallow end up with a podcast. I think that's true. I think that's definitely true. What I find, you know, I never really got into drugs. I was, I used to drink a lot. I've stopped drinking sort of temporarily, but it might be permanently. But if I eat, uh, you know, 10 chocolate, big giant chocolate buttons, I am absolutely high. The reason I can't stop doing it is because I am actually like a heroin addict. (laughs) High. Like as high as I was on morphine, and I feel amazing for like thirty seconds. But it feels like the most crazy drug I've ever been on. I think having stopped for a long time and then come back to it, it it's absolutely insane. It's so. I mean, I've been reading books by proper addicts and uh, Joe Cicchini's book about how much cocaine he took, and and, and I and the same with chocolate buttons. It's not very rock and roll. But there we go. It's so partridge. I love the partridgeness <laughs> of of his eating a full Toblerone and driving yeah. to Dundee barefoot. But you were having a stressful time at the fringe and ate a load of chocolate buttons. But I think I'm just good at justifying it to myself. I think I've got good w- willpower. And when I break, I just say to myself, well, I didn't want to have willpower then. <laughs> like, that was a choice. I decided this evening... I don't want to have willpower, so I've just eaten loads of stuff. So it's all it's all a scam. But yeah, I mean, you are allowed rewards now. Yeah, exactly. But I, I mean, we'll, I want to talk about writing later because you've both written books. Richard is is promoting his at the moment. But my problem with rewards, like I've I've been working on a good few scripts for a few years. I'll get up in the morning and I'll get a page done and I'll reward myself with <laughs> a, a Deliveroo, just all all sorts of stuff. The smallest amount of productivity. I'm like, well, you've been very good today, haven't you? Let's <laughs> let's have a treat. Um, so I might need to ad- adjust my um, l- levels for rewards, maybe. Well, for a page of writing, I think. Go nuts. Have some heroin <laughs> yeah. for a page. <laughs> I mean, that is that is a big deal. If I got a whole paragraph written in a single day when I was writing my ramble book, that was, that was amazing. I don't think I ever wrote more than that. And the idea that you can sit down and write more than one page of stuff that you end up keeping yeah. is still beyond me. Well, how did you both find that then? Because you've both written books and had far more success on that front than I've had when I've been attempting these things. Because it's 
It's a lot harder than podcasting, isn't it? <laughs> it, it <laughs> like is. writing a book. Everything, everything's harder than podcasting. It's, it's really harder. So, <laughs> uh, Richard, how have you found it? As it's kind of the, the freshest one for you. Obviously, you had something really big to talk about. Yeah, I found it, this one, remarkably, it just flowed out of me. I mean, it, the, the slight advantage I, I have, and I'm glad, so glad I do this now because my memory is terrible but because i write a blog every day yes and and i'm trying to just pick out a funny incident from the day when i went back to this i wasn't writing about the cancer very much to begin with and you know until it was at until i actually had the ball removed i didn't really fully mention it in the blog but what it was great for was you know everything else around obviously like it was on my mind so the the blogs were influenced by that but equally i thought like it was a sort of death sentence because it was cancer no one really told me that testicular cancer is is pretty treatable and you're pretty likely to survive it for for a good few years but like you know i was writing about these you know going out and play there was the, the, a bit that went into the book almost of a beatum that i added a bit to was that it's snow you know i was trying to find a moment to that my kids would remember if i died <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and trying to find the perfect thing, and then it snowed, and I thought, oh, that's perfect because you know I remember all the days it snowed when I was a kid, and those are all very uh, active memories. I'd sort of forgotten that they were all memories that had something horrible at the end because <laughs> when there's snow, there's nearly always like a you get a snowball in the face, or you get lost, or you get very cold. And so we kind of walked around the village and then we were going to make snowmen. I thought, they'll remember this. And then we were rolling the snowmen and because it, we hadn't cleared the back garden uh, of cat shit for a while, I just noticed this snow snowman we were making was just full of cat shit. And so I wrote this as a blog and it was a funny blog, but it was sort of just perfect for the book because it, I'd, as I'd written, I hadn't thought, oh, this is me tra- attempting to f- find this moment with my kids. Or certainly not saying that in the blog, but I realised what a perfect sort of metaphor it was for for that kind of... It's very like the scene in Groundhog Day where they're, where, he's, where they're playing in the snow and then he tries to recreate it and it it's just terrible because it doesn't, you know, it, the spontaneity is part of it. But um, yeah, so it, so things like that, just having those extra bits of information made it ve- sort of easy to piece together the story. And I obviously remembered a bit more about the kind of the procedures and stuff. But in, in a sense, I wish I'd, I wish I'd blogged right from the start because you, you just forget it's the little details that you remember the day after that you won't remember as an older man a week after. But, but I think because it was so. Uh, it was a book I needed to get out, and and I think it was my way of sort of processing everything. Mm. Unusually, because usually I'd leave, I'm I'm way behind on my deadlines and do twenty thousand words in a day, and it's and rush through. It sort of came together pretty well, and then and then I had someone helping me re- research the the facts and the history and stuff, and. Um, you know, it took maybe three months start to finish to, to wow. get all of this together. Mm. But it also, I was really pleased with it, which, you know, which isn't always the case when you've written something. You know, the first draft, I thought, yeah, this is pretty much there. And the, the editor came back with a few bits and pieces, but it was, it sort of came out really well, which, you know, isn't what you want to hear as a writer. And it isn't my usual experience as a writer. But I think just because it was, it was, so, it was sort of weird writing because I was reliving a bit of it, a bit anyway. I kind of had a problem with the other testicle and thought something was, something that was up, which luckily it turned out was a f- sort of false alarm. And so I was sort of reliving everything as well. And I think I was had COVID uh, for part of it, which I was isolated again, which I had been obviously when I'd been, been like after the operations and things. So it was. I've, I've actually found this year harder to deal with than the the year because now I think I'm processing all the, right. the thoughts of it all. But and the and the book was difficult because of that. But also I think it was a cathartic thing. What about you? Because you're obviously I don't know if losing a testicle or losing a parent. I don't know which which you uh, or 
Or oh, just quickly, choose, Richard, I, I have to say that, that as you were saying it took three months, the mmm from Adam was every writer listening. Um, kind yeah. of, oh, right. Oh, okay. Right. It just just churned it but out in three months. Three it's, months it's, with a lot of stuff pre-Reno. So, like, I'd sort yeah. of done the first draft in the blog, yeah. I suppose, you know. Yeah. So that And that's the, you know, I was talking to Richard Osborne at the weekend for, in a book festival, and he writes a thousand words a day, which is not loads. But like when you think about it, it's not it's not insignificant. But yeah. it, you know that only takes you only spend three months and you've written a book if you if you manage to yeah. do, if you make a good thousand words. So when you look at it like that, you could probably write a thousand words in two or three hours. But you've got to have the 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 path there, <laughs> haven't you? The structure and your blog was kind of that. Yeah, right? yeah. it kind of yeah. you had yeah. that yeah. there. So now you're going all right. Now write. Yeah. Now expand this. Yeah, and, I was just telling then... the story, so I knew what the story was. It's obviously if you don't know the story, it's a bit harder. Go on, Adam. You laugh. How was it for laughing? you? <laughs> Well, I'm just laughing at the idea of, yeah, if you write a thousand words a day, sure, you can write a book in a while, but it'll just be words. It'll just be random words that don't have much relation to each other. A lot of the, a lot of the words will be repeated. Yeah, so but you kind trick- of held yourself accountable on the podcast a bit, Adam, as as you were writing it, because you'd give updates and kind of yeah. like you'd made it, you'd 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 stated that you were working on this, and obviously it took longer than. You may have planned, but yeah, how was <laughs> yeah, that? It took, it took way longer. I mean, I never imagined for a second that I was going to write it quickly and hand it in yeah. on time. And I said <laughs> as much to the editor and he said, don't worry too much. It's fine. And so they were really nice about it, actually. I think it stressed my agent out more than anything because she's kind of the buffer between me and people who actually want things delivered and have some financial investment in what's going on. So it's a bit embarrassing for her sometimes, I think. But she's got used to it and eventually it came together relatively quickly. It just takes me a long time to get in the right frame of mind. I'm supposed to write another one and they didn't give me a deadline this time, which is quite good. <laughs> but on the other hand, but but now they're sniffing around and saying, any chance? Is there, like, do you think yeah. maybe next year sometime? So my plan is to take a bit of time off from the podcast in the new year and knuckle down. And in the meantime, I have in the last few years been more organized about writing every day, just because I remember talking to David Sedaris, the writer on my podcast. And he says, I've heard him say a few times, in fact, that of course you have to write every day. And it's not just him who says that. I've heard lots of writers say, if you want to be considered a writer, or if you want to take it seriously, you have to write every day for a few hours. It doesn't really matter what it is. You just should be writing, whether it's your part of your project or... So anyway, I write my journal and I guess a bit like you, Rich, you know, it's, I don't um, blog it. In fact, I'm always thinking like, why do you, why do you make that stuff public? My strategy is just to work away in private and then eventually join bits together, whatever they might be, if it's music or writing or, or whatever, and go, ta-da! But your your whole process is to make everything public. Well, it's because I wouldn't do it otherwise. So, like, I don't even think of people reading it, and I don't know how many people read it. I never look at any figures for that. I think at some point it was around 3,000 people, but I have no idea if that's the case. I think it's interesting to for other writers to see that process and to show them 
hey, look, you don't have to, it doesn't have to be brilliant every day. And I think the, it got easy to do that blog when I just absolutely gave myself permission to fail with it. You know, just say, look, especially once we've had kids, but I think I've done this before, you know, some days are just nothing happens. But when I really thought about stuff, that's where all the great stand-up stuff came from. Like someone like Yogurt, I remember sitting down about three hours trying to think of anything that had happened the day before and then finally remembered that the woman at the checkout said, when I bought nine yogurts, oh, someone likes yogurts. And then <laughs> and then I made a bit, you know, made a routine out of it that went on to be an hour-long routine. So, like, I would never have thought of doing that as a routine or written it or even remembered it if I hadn't been forced to. So, But I think by putting it up, it means I feel like, and then the longer it goes on, because it's nearly 20 years now, it's, cut, it's about a month off being 20 years of blogging every single day. Yeah. Wow. Uh, you know, or four every single day. Sometimes I'll pick up two, two days in a row if I've, you know, if I've, if I've been really busy. But equally now, if I don't do it the day after, I can't even remember what I did. If it's two days, I can't remember what I did two days ago. So, so, yeah. so I, I think it's just. You know, I think it's just that's the only reason it's public. And I, I assume people don't read it or if people are interested in seeing the finished product, they won't read it. Or if they do read it, then they can't complain. If you say, look, I'm obviously going to reuse some of these ideas down the line. But uh, yeah, so it's it's, it's literally just it's, it's the same thing. It's just, well, it, the idea of it originally was to warm myself up for my proper. I felt I wasn't doing any work and I was wasting loads and loads of time. I read a Douglas Adams book of all his uh, the Salmon of Doubt, which is all his sort of articles and bits and pieces he'd written, and and all the time he, you know, all the time he wasted, and all the stuff he didn't write, and then he died very young, obviously, and it just seemed a terrible shame because even the little bits of things they were putting together, this book was so good. So I just mm. thought, like, you know, if I can just get stuff down, that's something, and then I'll write, then I'll do my proper day's writing. But for most of the time I was doing it, you know, it would I'd finish the blog and then go, ah, oh, that's that feels like a day's work, <laughs> and that would be work. all I get done. Yeah, but but yeah, so that's. With the stuff I'm doing on Twitch that uh, me and Pitt were talking about before we started, it's sort of like it, I'm trying to improvise lots of stuff uh, and like I put out a puppet show every month. If eventually something comes of that, you just have to say to the people, you know, if that we might, I might repeat some stuff. I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't, but it's it's a way of that's really showing. I, I don't do ventriloquism apart from during that show, and I've yeah. improved. I've improved a lot over two or three years of just doing ventriloquism one hour a week for most weeks. Uh, and and also, I'm showing the workings of how of how comedy is put of together. Of how to have a breakdown in public. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's kept me so. Well, you know, it's hard to know if you're sane or not, isn't it? But I think all these nutty things I I do occasionally I have to stop stone clearing because I start feeling like <laughs> I have to walk somewhere else because I start to think I get a little bit too obsessive about that. Yeah, but uh, or it just feels a bit too much. But I think most of these things I was uh, I mentioned this stone clearing to Philippa Perry on my podcast last night, and she thought it was probably quite good for me to, to do something like that. So they, yeah, no, it's, it's and she it's saw it as an art project as value. well. It's yeah. therapeutic and it's an art project, and it's you know both the snooker and the stone clearing are sort of I see as sort of performance art as much as anything else, and it's exploring a mental breakdown without yeah. hope, without hopefully having one. But you know that's the that's the tightrope you're walking on. Yeah, it's steering into a mental breakdown. <laughs> yeah. No, this is something that I'm doing for art. This isn't, you, you can't get me for this. Pip, what is your, quotes maddest routine that you do on a regular basis? I don't know, really. I, I, I spend an awful lot of time on my own. I don't have kids. I've got a partner, but we don't live together. And it occurred to me recently when I was, I've just had my eight-year anniversary of doing the podcast and putting an episode out every week for eight years and a lot of people were saying oh that's, that's so much talk and so much conversation and it really occurred to me that some weeks that's 
this, this sounds like an exaggeration, but some weeks it can be the only conversations I have are on the podcast because I live on my own and I'm watching a lot of stuff and I'm writing and doing things things like that. So I think for someone who's known for talking, the amount of time I spend where I could go days without speaking out loud is something that just doesn't occur to me at all. And my cousin a while back was going through some mental health struggles and he did a big post about it and he was saying, I've not spoken to another person in three days. I've not left the house and all this. I was like, I've not done that in four days. I thought, I've I've been having a lovely time. Don't tell me that that's the signs of things like this because it hadn't occurred to me as a weird thing. I was like... Yeah, I've just been watching stuff, and fucking hell, does this mean does this mean I'm having a breakdown? <laughs> so. Well, it's not necessarily a sign of um, yeah a problem, is it? Just the same way it's when it's that... highlighted by other people as being a negative. Yeah. You're like, oh shit, that was just me doing my thing. It's like it's not always a problem to have some cocaine and mawam <laughs> yeah. in the middle of the night. You know, sometimes <laughs> it sometimes it's fine. It it depends. You just uh, you shouldn't do too much. That's all. That's what I tell myself. <laughs> I was talking to a to blind boy recently and he revealed to me that I'm neurodivergent. I didn't know that stammers come under neurodivergence. And almost to a person, everyone I mentioned that to was like, well, yeah, of course you're neurodivergent just because of, of, of not my stammer of other things. And the easiest example I had the other day, I was at the kind of the day before party of, of my cousin's wedding. And it was really lovely. It's all friends and family. It was a beautiful thing, but Honestly, the moment I was beaming was when I was in the cab home having left early and it just filled me with so much joy. I'd had a lovely evening, but I was so happy to be on my own in a cab. And again, that's a big neurodivergent thing, apparently. Okay. I was like, that was a lovely time, but oh, I'm going home now. I'm not there anymore. I appreciate you know? the value of the concept of neurodivergence in order to make people feel included and not feel like they're abnormal in some way. But I mean, it's such a nebulous concept, really, because what is a normal mind, really? Everyone is, as soon as you're in your teens, you start going weird, and then it just gets weirder and weirder, and everyone in their own way, by the time they're in their middle age, they're pretty screwed up, and it's all just an effort to cover it up one way or another or manage it. So everyone yeah. is somewhat neurodivergent. Not to or, say obviously or, there are some there are some specific conditions which No, the, are- the the really interesting thing, the way Blind Boy described it, he spoke to a, a psychologist or s- some kind of expert. And the damaging thing can be that we all are aware of the scale. Like I'm 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 somewhere on the scale or I'm somewhere on the on the spectrum and all that kind of thing. And this a professional was saying it's not really a spectrum as in here's the bottom and then here's the top. It's more like a bingo card and you've got certain things that make up your neurodivergence or your autistic level or whatever, but you might not have all of them. And again, the thing that we need to adapt more in society, I think, is it becomes a problem when the ones on your bingo card restrict you in your day-to-day life, yeah. in your job, in whatever else. Like, I'm lucky that anything I may have on my bingo card doesn't affect me. I do podcasts. I do this. I've n- I don't work in an office. I don't have to socialise constantly and make small talk and the things I might not be comfortable with. And Blind Boy is a perfect example of his podcasts are such deep dives into s- subjects. And that was a problem b- back when he worked in an office because they'd come back and he spent f- four hours r- researching something that's nothing to do with his job because he's become obsessed with it. Whereas now as a podcaster, it's his his strength. So it's kind of, yeah, it's adjusting 
finding the right fit for each person, I guess, which is, yeah, yeah. I find all that shit fascinating. But, I mean, speaking of <laughs> of breakdowns or, or, <laughs> or more of tough times, I, I wanted to speak to you both about how you found having a podcast in tough times because, obviously, you've both spoken on how writing your books has been therapeutic. But, I mean, I'll start with you, Adam. You produce some absolutely astounding pieces of media when you were going through really horrible times of the loss of your parents, but it really felt like it was something that was helping you as well or that you needed to do to help you process. Was that was the podcast helpful in that time or was there any temptation to go, I need to steer away from this and I'll come back after some time off or, or what? I don't know. I think it is helpful just to have things to do to fill your time with, you know, and, and to stop you dwelling on stuff too much. I like the actual technical process of putting the podcast together. And there are some episodes that work out really well and you end up feeling euphoric because you feel like you've made a real connection and, and that there was something real there, you know. And it was lovely talking to Joe after my mum died and, yeah. you know, he made me laugh and I got emotional and it felt like, okay, well, that was something real and it was intense and I think it worked out well and it, it'll probably be interesting to listen to. But then there's other times when, and around that time as well, because so many of the podcasts are being recorded via Zoom, mm. that there would be technical problems and my shit broadband would get in the way. And <laughs> I was talking to Sarah Silverman, she was in Los Angeles and I just screwed a load of things up. I forgot to do a load of things and then right. the broadband went wrong and it was technically very challenging. And so it was almost impossible to get any kind of rhythm going and and ease into the conversation with someone I'd never met before and was sort of intimidated by a little bit and didn't know how it was going to go anyway. So I was nervous. She was very nice about it and very yeah. patient, but it was so stressful. And I came out of it just absolutely racked with self-loathing and just thinking, oh, fucking hell, I can't do anything. <laughs> that was terrible. And it was fine. It cut, it cut together okay. And then there was a similar time with um, Fran Leibowitz. Yes. Um, and that went down the toilet technically. And she wasn't so patient. She was like, you know, she couldn't give a fuck about like saying, oh, don't worry about it. She was just like, what's, oh, he's gone quiet again. What's going on? I was going to say, it's completely her brand to, to not be polite about it, right? Yeah. I mean, she, she, was, she was fine, basically. Yeah. And I was, I was grateful for the time she did give, but, but she was clearly, understandably, pissed off. So yeah, it's up and down to answer your question. Mm. Sometimes it provides really valuable contact. And I'm like you, there are, are days that go by when I don't really speak to that many people, uh, even my family. <laughs> and um, so it's really nice to have a long conversation with someone, especially if you get on. Oh, that's what it, it, it felt like at times when you did the specific episodes, the kind of standalones, and when it came up in in, in other episodes, it felt Again, I kind of find it's n nice to have someone anonymous to talk to who isn't your f family or close friends or or whomever else that you may share even deeper with, but, you know, you need a break from. And it is, yeah, it can be great for offloading. And it felt like that with with those episodes, I guess. Yeah. And, and, and how about you, Richard? Because the interesting thing with your podcast is we were getting kind of little glimmers of information <laughs> and things in the intros, essentially, because yeah. you're not going to be doing a, a live podcast or ha however else you're doing it and get into it 
too much with the guest, I guess. So no, yeah. well, it's sort of it, it was very it was great, great. I mean, all through lockdown before before it was great to have be able to carry on working, and I think like it would have been. Uh, it was also interesting to me because I I didn't I always thought I want to do these live in front of an audience and they're better I think live in front of an audience and that's sort of what Rahalaspa is but the fact that you can do them on Zoom you know and you can talk to people in America or whatever is that you wouldn't get is also interesting so it kind of opened things up a bit for me but yeah the day before and what you what you're saying like exactly what you're saying the day before my actual operation where obviously I was pretty nervous I had a podcast book had been booked in for quite a while wow. uh, with Mary Lynn Ricecup who's from 24 and the Larry Sanders show and uh, various other things who I didn't know at all but who <laughs> you know it was sort of really interesting you know, obviously, it, dis- it was a-, a distraction from waiting to go in the next morning to be cut open. Mm. Uh, uh, but also, I was able, I did talk about it with her or as sort of the first thing we spoke about. But it was kind of really interesting to do that with a complete stranger and for her as well. She ended, she did a very Adam Buxton thing of sending me, she found out my address and sent me some flowers after my operation, which was really oh, amazing wow. and lovely. Adam yeah. once sent me flowers as well. Uh, and, uh, I had two bollocks then. So that was, you know, but that was, it was really cathartic. And I then, and then we talked about other stuff and, you know, it was, it was a, an escape from what that night would have been me just sitting there thinking, Oh my God, am I going to die? Are they going to cut the right bollock off? Are they going to, you know, it's anything. It's what will it be like to have one bollock uh, and all that sort of stuff. So it was, it was absolutely great. And then the week after we'd had Jeremy Paxman had been booked in for ages. And I was quite excited about talking to Jeremy Paxman. And obviously that was like six, you know, six, seven days after the operation. But it was sort of great to go, okay, look, I've got something to do. I'll go, I'll, I'll hobble upstairs and, and do some actual work and I can carry on doing this stuff and there's no need to cancel this. And then that was a sort of weird podcast with him because he was. Well, he, as it turned out, he had struggles of his own that he was going through and uh, that were later sort of revealed. But uh, he was sort of very grumpy to begin with. And But over the course of that conversation, sort of warmed to me a little bit, I think. But again, it was just great to do something so, you know, so away from what, from what, from what was, was happening to me. It amazes me how much, uh, for the listeners, you know, you get so many, I'm sure you do as well, we get so many emails from people who said, you know, I was going through a really tough time. Yeah. And this, for them, just listening to a, a conversation between two people they don't know has really helped them get through it. And that was never the intention. You know, my podcasts are sort of stupid and, if anything, you know, trying to get get people to stop listening to them often in, in some cases. So <laughs> the, the idea the idea that, that people will take comfort from them or, you know, or it gets people through dark times in their life, I think is just such an amazing thing. And, you know, and it does... That's what I found with the whole testicular cancer thing. Me and my wife discussed whether I was going to talk about it. Uh, and I felt, I said, it's going to be very hard for me not to because of all the stuff I'm doing and how autobiographical everything is. But also I felt like I wanted to talk about it, but it was helpful for, for other people for me to talk openly about cancer and, and, and be funny about it and be not too scared about it. But it turned out that also as having talked about it, I got loads of tweets from people telling me they'd been through the same thing and there was 30 years later or you know and, and, and you found out lots of information and lots of reassuring stuff for me so it was it was you know we don't talk about stuff enough uh, especially men I think and maybe probably men our age generally speaking don't talk enough about stuff so I think it's great that there are these that all three of us I think are very are very open about talking about those things that and you know, for me Adam's podcast during the time when he was going through all of his uh, 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 terrible troubles and, and and deaths and and coping with that 
were absolutely astonishingly beautiful pieces of art. And the, and I and I emailed you, I think, before I got cancer, saying, I hope something else terrible happens to you so that this will, this will carry on and then something terrible happened to, happen to me as a, pun, as a punishment. Back. The wish bounced back. <laughs> yeah, it did. So, you know, but I bet, you know, that's what's the, that's the joy of the medium. That's why I never do anything for this long. You know, I get bored of stuff. The idea of, if you told me at the beginning of podcasting that I'd be going in, you know, 15 years time, whatever it is, if you told me at the beginning of Rehalisper, I'd do, I mean, there's 500 of them if you include the Edinburgh ones, there's over 500 of them and still find it fresh and interesting and new uh, and exciting. And, you know, not all of them are, are fresh and new and exciting, but, but, there's always something surprising that happens. Uh, they're, they're not quite nailed down into being a format, so you can, you know, they could be very different depending on the guest. I would have never believed that I'd still be doing it, but I'm absolutely, you know, completely into it still, which is very unlike me. Or, or how have you both found kind of the changes in podcasting over the years? Because it has gone crazy in recent years, and I don't know, it's, re- it's really interesting. I think the more people are aware of podcasts, the better but then like any industry you will then get your kind of i've been doing this ages and they've turned up and they're getting 20 million a week for for whatever and things like that so let's just say louis Theroux. let's say his name <laughs> out loud and i love it not I, feel weird about I, it i think of, of louis i think of off menu because i was the, their first ever guest oh yeah and then within two episodes i think that exceeded my total downloads from the start of my podcast. Like, oh, come on. How have I put out 100 episodes and more people have heard me on their podcast than have heard my own? Well, but, it um, reminds, it's always a reminder of the power of, of just continued exposure on mainstream media. Yeah, if you're yeah. on TV, it still makes a massive difference. Yeah. And people just gravitate towards stuff they know, stuff that's familiar, that's understandable. But it's kind of, we all started podcasts because of that right to have some media that we're in control of, that that, yeah. that doesn't have to be mainstream media. So there's still a beauty in that, I guess, in going. Yeah, I think it's fine personally. I don't mind, you know, I used to, when I started the podcast, I used to feel like, well, this is my chance to plant my flag and to uh, have some visibility in, in, in a space that I can control and I would check the stats and I would I was on Twitter in those days. I'd read all the comments. I'd look at the podcast charts. I would enter the podcast into awards when I could, things like that. And then at a certain point, I think probably actually towards the beginning of the pandemic, that sort of fell away. And I thought, what? Actually, this this is ridiculous. And I think podcasts were reaching a kind of critical mass at that point. And as you say, there were so many of them and they were getting so huge. It's like, well, this is a different thing now. And I never wanted to compete with mainstream media in that way. I always wanted just to do a good job in the fringes. So I'm happy occupying that space again. And I don't mind not really competing. And I like the idea that there are corners, even in the digital world, that are dark and dusty and that people will enjoy finding and uh, um, and occupying in the same way that, you know, in the analog days, it was fun as a music fan to go into dusty old record shops and riffle through bins and things like that. It was a lovely yeah. feeling that you don't, well, I don't have very much anymore. But I think that that feeling still exists in the digital world. And it's quite nice. I, I, I like being a sort of totally irrelevant 
corner. <laughs> but do you enjoy the, the discovery side of that as well? Because again, I, I I I get into a real habit of listening to all the same podcasts, as we've both said, because we've we've all been here for so long. There's certain ones I listen to, but I get a right r- rush of excitement when I find a new one that really I want to I want to listen to every episode of and have that that crate digging feel to it. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean that. <sighs> It gets harder and harder. The thing about podcasts, I think, that people become obsessed by, well, I think it's it just takes that much longer to really connect with a podcast. You yeah. know, there's that long period where you're feeling each other out kind of thing and you think, well, I think I like where these people are coming from. <laughs> yeah. But then you listen to one episode where you just think, ah, nah, I'm not on board with that. And then, <laughs> and then it's the, the spell is broken. But when... When you do form a, a long relationship, it's a magical thing. Oh, and then oh. you're on board for whatever they put out and you just think, okay, well, I've never heard of that guest or I don't even like that guest, but I'm still going to listen to it because I like where you're coming from. Or have there been any that you've fallen out with? Because like I, I, one of the things I got into with podcasting was Joe Rogan and I've been on Joe Rogan's podcast and I was at the time listening every week and that's one that I've just drifted away from completely and I don't think I kind of always say with mates I don't know if I've talked about it on online but I think the Joe Rogan haters and the Joe Rogan fanboys are equally biased and kind of blind to the nuance of it all but he does have so many fucking dickheads on and say particularly (laughs) over the pandemic said so much stupid shit and again you're then having to remember that when you got into this, it was because there was this donor who would talk for three hours every every week or two or three times a week. It just happens that now he's got huge social impact and influence. But yeah, has there been anything that you've previously been in love with and kind of gone, nah, I'm not, I'm not there anymore, <laughs> either of you? I don't know if there there is. I don't listen to like a huge number of podcasts, and I've started listening to audio books now because for yeah. my for my podcast, and that takes Book up club. all of my my sort of free time. And so I'll dip back into stuff. Uh, but I've stayed sort of very true to the stuff that I liked, really. And I like kind of listening to history things, and I like listening to you guys, and I listen to my wife's podcast some of the time. Yeah, and you know, and and then that's there's not that much uh, left to go with when you when you when you're doing so much. But you know, I think you're right about the the change is sort of weird. But you know, I think that I, I like off menu because they have stuck with it, right? And they, yeah. you know, they and and it would be very easy for both of them who are very successful. Yeah. outside to just go okay well we've done that and i think the the issue is and they both clearly enjoy it still they, right? like they do, it's never you, phoned in it's it's clearly they love it but almost for all three of us you know the 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 thing that would distract us from podcasting hasn't really come along you know if we suddenly if suddenly we were got a talk show on tv or a big sketch show on tv or yeah. whatever yeah. maybe we could you know i don't i could certainly couldn't be putting out podcasts at the rate that i am doing yeah. but but i equally sort of think then you know would would the, would it even i'd make less money probably doing on tv i'm not that bothered about getting more people to come as lo- into the podcast as long as i can keep the ones that i have you know and get them and then just a little bit of word of mouth i mean we're all doing we all have what our kind of most podcasters would love to have what we have yeah. uh, and you know having 20 million 
the listeners is one thing and be nice in some ways, but like to have whatever we've got, you know, I, I'm sort of, a, I, I wasn't going to put adverts in. In fact, Adam was one of the people who kind of convinced me to go with ACAST. Yeah. And, and I Sell out, go and for I, it. And, uh, but it. But I suddenly really know there's no other way of really funding. It. I've tried lots of different ways and there's no way yeah. of properly funding it. And it just, when I realised the sort of money that was being left on the table by not doing that, I just sort of thought, and the, in fact, what that what I thought that was turned out to be a very conservative estimate of of the money that we'd we'd make from yeah. it. I just thought this is crazy because I, you know, I can use that money. I don't have to take it myself. I mean, I do take some of it myself, but I can put. You know, we've we've uh, we've uh, financed a, an independent movie of, with a budget of about sixty five thousand pounds. As a result of you know, that feels like a good use of Sky's yeah. money or whoever's money that we've got from the from the podcast. So you know, I think it's to get to that stage where even you could say we made six. If someone told me you're going to make sixty five thousand pounds that you can give away yeah. from your podcast, that I would have you know, and I would have said, well, how the fuck? Was that happened so you know we're all at a position where whatever listenerships we've got it, there's enough money to keep through to we, to keep us completely independent which is what i wanted at the start and it, it you know in my wildest dreams i thought you know would this ever reach a place where we can i can start making my own stuff i can make those ideas that tv didn't want to do or didn't understand or just you know or, or, or someone else's ideas and so you know it's sort of I, I still feel like i would like to be 20 years younger in in terms of that happening yeah if i had another if i had another 20 years in my life I think something really exciting could happen with that. It's a slow process, but you know, we've all done we've all done very well. We should be very proud of ourselves. But we're also we're all here and some of those big names will come and go or do short periods of doing it and then go away and come back. Uh and you know, we're sort of you know, I think you know to see Adam sort of say I'm in this uh, little niche and no one knows. You know, you're, you're one of the biggest podcasters in in the country, certainly. Uh, just because there's other people that are you know can can get kind of crazy amounts of listenership. But I also think we we've all stayed independent. Most of those guys have just been brought in by production companies who are then still. It's just the same as doing a TV show. The production company's taking most of the money, yeah. and paying them a nice amount of money for doing it. But when you realise the amount of money that I can make doing my podcast with maybe a million listeners, downloads a, a month is probably what I'm on, and the amount of money that raises, you kind of go, well, but that's all. I'm in control of all that money. There's no one taking away any of that money. So it's uh, you know that that sort of is is almost the dream, I think, isn't it? That you that we, we've got to a point where we're sort of self financing and and maybe have some spare money to do other stuff with. Yeah, and to be sort of truly independent and to do stuff that you are genuinely interested in, there's a yeah. certain amount of pressure to keep things somewhat diverse and to not only talk to the same kind of person week after week after week. I mean, that is a pressure in itself and that's tricky sometimes. Yeah. But that's the only thing really apart from that. Well, I used to get really worried about thinking, oh, well, there hasn't been a funny one for a bit. I've got to, I've got to keep them all funny. I can't just have like three serious ones on the trot. Yeah. Um, but now I'm not really fussed because people, I like the idea that it's just sat there. The archive is just sat there as a thing that is always going to be there. Well, at least for a while. And people can come to it and handle it however they want, you know, and go through and curate it for themselves. And if they just want to listen to comedy stuff, well, they can go through the episodes and do that. If they get bored of that, then they can find slightly more serious ones or 
whatever, you know. So so it just I'm less precious about thinking that it's a it's not like a TV show. You don't have to structure it like a series. No. Yeah. And you don't have to worry about like how it debuts and what the numbers are and all this kind of stuff. It's obvious if you get a big name that everybody knows, <laughs> that's going to get a lot more attention than some writer that fewer people have heard of. But I don't I don't mind that much if it's a bit obscure for a while or if it's not exactly what the majority of people want to hear. Well, and it's us choosing our own guests. Yeah. Well. So we're not, it's not, if it was a TV show with a production company, they're going, oh, you've got to have, you know, James Corden's mind has just popped into my mind. I would have him as a guest, but you've got to have James, you've got to have James Corden or whatever. And you might not want to do that, you know, but so to be able to say, I'm going to have cunt from cunt of the gang on this week, or I'm going to have <laughs> Sophie Hay, who's an archaeologist who works in Pompeii because I'm interested in that. And I don't care if anyone isn't, you know, then that's, that's sort of such a privilege and so fantastic. And then, yeah, you know, you are, I think. Booking it is all is the hardest thing. Yeah. And, and when it's live, just trying to book it so that people will buy tickets and come and trying to balance that big name versus, you know, lesser, you know, newer newer comedian who might not sell tickets. But even that, I don't care. You know, even if like one week yesterday, not many people came to watch it live, but there were two great interviews with, you know, I mean, Philippa Perry's should be getting, people should be coming to see her. But, uh, you know, you you uh, you have the freedom to go, uh, these are the these are the people I want to talk to. And, you know, and I'm only talking to the people I want to talk to or people that I think have, you know, that I, I would I think that there's something interesting there or we need to represent that kind of person there. You know, I think I think that, that, that that's taking a lead. I kind of realised when I was, you know, I'd get the, the would I lie to you people on and say, you don't have any, why, why do you never have women? <laughs> you know, why do you have so few women on? And then I kind of, well, you know, I, I can, t- you know, I look through my own list and go, yeah, but I'm not doing that well with that either. Yeah. So uh, I'll make, I'll, I'll make an effort to make sure that that's I th- fair. I and think, it, it, I, th- I think it's really interesting though, because I, I had a moment during the pandemic and it was because of some work that we were doing on, on Pod Bible magazine and we had a, a, someone called Jordan helping us. And it was just as all the Black Lives Matter stuff was really b- b- blowing up and horrific things going on in America. And I realised that you get in this in this habit with podcasts as well, that you're thinking, as you say, Adam, the bigger the name, the bigger the listenership. Like, if yeah. I get this person on, it's going to get do huge numbers. And they kind of pointed out that with Pod Bible, yeah, having a big cover style will get more eyes on us, but we're a platform as well now. And it's just as important to use our platform to get eyes on other people. So to making sure we've got a diverse gender, race, all sorts of things, uh, sexuality on the on the guests of distraction pieces as much as possible rather than thinking, and again, it's easy to, to s- slip into it, particularly in those early days, as Adam was saying, where you are keeping an eye on numbers and seeing what spikes and what doesn't. I had a real moment of going, no, no, the important bit is that rather than thinking about growing my platform, I acknowledge that, Oh, it's a platform now. It's a space that I can give people exposure and I can give people new or get them reach new ears and new households with by having them on. And yeah, as said, it's not always in our control, as you will see by the amount no. of, of white men on podcasts in general. But I find like being on on um on on junket lists and stuff now, at least 70% of the people I'm pitched are white men. And then I have to push to get some kind of variation in there. And yeah, it's a it's a constant battle, I guess, there. Yeah, you've got to ration your white men. Yeah. And <laughs> it's annoying because I myself, I don't know if you know this, but I am a white man. 
I've heard. I didn't want to assume. And apart from being in a kind of uh, majority, you know, like uh, what's it called demographically, it also means that you kind of, you know, you end up knowing a lot of the same sort of people from similar backgrounds and, and your tastes converge with a lot of people who are quite similar to you. Yeah. So you do have to make an effort to go outside of that. And that's quite difficult sometimes. And sometimes you drive yourself a bit mad and think, oh, well, I haven't represented this group and I haven't represented that group and I'm very low on this and that. And and you just sort of think, well, I know, I understand because I felt it myself sometimes that some people think if a certain group is not represented, then it means you kind of have a problem with that group or you're disrespectful towards that group. But I just thought, actually, I don't think that's right. I think you have to kind of make a judgment about a person and go, well, is this the kind of person that would exclude, deliberately exclude this group or not? And are we to conclude from the fact that this group is not better represented in what they do that they don't like that group i just don't think so it's like sometimes i walk down the stairs and i've got photographs family photographs and photographs of friends all over the house and uh, one morning i came down i was like there's not a lot of representation (laughs) on these walls it's a lot of the same kind of people from the same backgrounds i'm thinking here does that mean that i'm racist does it mean that i'm classist i mean why isn't there more representation on my family photo wall you know you can drive yourself nuts i think but you don't want to give up on it you want to still try i completely agree i completely agree and i think it's it's who was i speaking to um i was speaking to to, to a comedian uh, a lauren Patterson recently whose fringe show was amazing and they were saying that their fringe show is from a working class perspective and it is about a posh ex of hers in a lot of places and things like that but the thing that she kind of points out really well is I don't care if you're posh I don't care if you're working class but just acknowledge it like acknowledge your background and where you're from and things like that and it's when people are in denial on anything that it it starts to become an issue and starts to Calls d- divides and whatever else, but 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 but. You've been listening to Scroobius Pip's Distraction Pieces. Whoa, 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 whoa! There we go. Let's pause it there. Let's pause it there. Let's take a breather. Take a little breather and then we'll we'll come back with part two. Part one was out at midnight. Part two will be out at midday. You've probably, you probably, they're probably both out as you're listening to this. But if not, you could do with a little break because you're getting a little bit overexcited, all right? Uh-huh. All right? Anyway, yeah, I'll see you in a bit. Until part two, stay safe and stay sane. Ta-ta.